We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hi, I'm Joe Connolly with producer Neele Caruso. And today you are going to meet one of the most famous architects in the world, Daniel Liebeskind who has designed landmark buildings all over the world, including the Jewish Museum in Berlin. Daniel was born in Poland, the child of Holocaust survivors, and he arrived in New York in the 1950s in one of the last official immigrant boats to the United States. Today, his wife Nina is also his business partner at their studio. Daniel Liebeskind was selected as the master planner for the redevelopment of the World Trade Center. And it is in that context that we'll talk to him today. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much, Joe. And Daniel, how will the 9-11 recovery relate, do you think, to the recovery from the pandemic? Well, you know, the 9-11 was a day that devastated New York. It was a day of infamy, and we could see how New York mobilized itself, and everybody came together in solidarity to rebuild this critical site and to show that that memory moves forward through optimism and through construction. And I think the same thing will happen after a much less tragic but equally sad you know, pandemic that hit New York and hit our country, hit the world. I think New York will recover. Absolutely, there's no doubt in my mind. Of course, right now uh, we can see buildings are not fully, you know, occupied and so on. But that's only a moment, and, and uh, there is no doubt in my mind that New York will not only recover but will become a better and bigger New York as as it always has after these uh, setbacks. When you design inspirational buildings. How do you balance the considerations so that it is not just a sad place? Or maybe it should just be a sad place? No, I think, I think there is a responsibility that whatever sadness and tragedy is performed in a place, at the end there has to be a message of hope and of resilience, of strength. That's what really the spirit of humanity is. It's not just to give in to the irretrievable and irreversible past. It's to show that we can overcome it. We, we, we will not forget it. We will not uh, shove it aside. But we will use that memory to create something more profound, 
more integrative and more open to the public. So yes, I, I think the message of hope is really an eternal message. And how do you reflect that? The layman thinks of soaring buildings and grand designs. How do you think of it as you design? Well, I think of it as an, as an architect or as an artist because you have to think of light. Light is really, really communicating to us something beyond just our own ego. So light, of course, material, proportions, uh, acoustics, you know, the sound of, of the uh, waterfall of Ground Zero. I had it in my head when I was designing uh, the, the master plan. So, yes, you have to think of all those qualities that are so important for people to experience and to respond in their own creative ways. Neil? Daniel, what was your original vision for the World Trade Center site? Well, my original vision was very simple. Number one is never to build anything on the uh, where, where people, you know, in their thousands fell to their deaths. So to protect the bedrock, to make sure that no buildings are built and to turn really uh, the footprints and, and where the tragedy happened into a public space, into a memorial that really goes all the way down to the museum bedrock and to expose the slurry wall, which is the great foundation wall, which is still there in the museum to be visited by visitors. It's a wall that supports the site. It's a huge dam against the pressures of the Hudson River. But then, of course, I had to meet uh, the obligation to, of 10 million square feet of density of office space, which is no small density. It's a whole downtown of an American city. And so I did it by distributing it into many buildings, into four or five buildings. The fifth one is going to be a residential tower now. And those buildings really take a symbolic uh, shape of the torch of the Statue of Liberty, allowing the first building to be 1776 feet high, which is the, the number or the, the year of the Declaration of Independence, a very symbolic tower, which speaks about the first document of human rights that is in our country. And then to, to put the buildings and to reconnect all the streets, you know, the streets of downtown, to not just to Wall Street, but to Tribeca, to, to you know, to, to Chinatown, to all the neighborhoods, bring the transportation close together so that we can have subways and path trains meeting there, and to create of course, the Wedge of Light, which is another public space, you know, entering from, when you come from Broadway, you need, there are a lot of people coming, and that's now de determined by uh, tower number two, south uh, face. Tower two is not yet built, so you don't see it, but the, the southern part of that uh, Wedge of Light is the Path Train Oculus, which opens on 9-11, it's standing exactly in the memory of 8.46 a.m. when the first tower was struck, there's the northern side of that wedge, and 10.28 a.m. when the second tower collapsed. So it's a memorial in light, like Stonehenge, will always be there forever in the memory of, the, of, that, of that day that we will never forget. And of course, to create an ensemble of buildings that really balances the need of remembering sensitivity, but also creates a powerful, you know, beautiful, new, inspiring landscape of New York with skyscrapers, gleaming uh, uh, streets, connections along Greenwich and Fulton. Uh, of course, the uh, uh, Performing Arts Center uh, is now under construction. It's part of my plan. The Visitor Center has been already built. The museum, 9-11 Museum, is built and very popular. Uh, so tower number two still has to be built. 
Tower number five, which, which will be built, is now going to be a residential tower. It was part of my scheme. And it's great that people will be able to live there. Uh, we need the diversity. So yes, the core of the plan is to really assert life, assert the victory of life over, over these evil deeds and to show that New York is moving forward and New York is the greatest city in the world. 9-11 happened at a specific, now sacred site. The pandemic happened all across every part of the city and country. So will it come to be reflected in architecture in any way? It would have to be much different from downtown. Well, I, I think, uh, of course, so many people you know, died, but it was a natural disease. You know, it, it, it's a pandemic. It was not an attack you know, by, by evil forces uh, on our country. So, of course, uh, there will be many ways to memorialize those who perished uh, in the pandemic. Uh, there, there will be even physical spaces, I'm sure. Uh, but I think uh, what will be most memorialized is that our way of working will have changed and our way of living, that the public space will have come into our homes. You know, now an entire office building can be, you know, uh, all the participants can be on, on my screen. So suddenly, you know, home, which used to be kind of a sacred territory of privacy, is now becoming part of the public world of the office of the workspace. And vice versa, the private world is emerging into the streets uh, in an unexpected way. So, of course, there will be, through remote working and through all the new technologies that we've developed, a, a kind of memory of that pandemic, but it's going to be very different from an attack uh, on a country, an attack uh, of terror, uh, it will be memorialized in a different and uh, differently symbolic way. And to that point, Daniel, when you think about offices and you think about the culture downtown, how do you believe office tenants should look at that World Trade Center site now uh, as we come out of the pandemic and, you know, in terms of, you know, revitalizing the, the business sector there? Well, I, I, have, I have no doubt that people will become part of a more hybrid world of working. But I have also no doubt that the social space that offices allow people to meet, that's the creative part of the city. Look, what is a city? A city, why are people in a city in the first place? Why are they not all in the countryside just communicating by you know, computer? Because people want to be together. People want to meet strangers. People want to see the, you know, something that has not been planned for them. That's the creative aspect of cities. And a city is, I think, the greatest kind of work of art that, that human beings created because it offers people the opportunity to meet others. And I think that will never disappear, which means that people will come back to offices. Maybe the offices will be restructured in different ways, spatially. But there is no doubt that offices will continue to play a key role. And I really uh, know it from my own office, which is in Long Manhattan, that it's so, so inspiring to have people back in the office seeing each other, working together, it's irreplaceable. You can never do it from your home that way. I suspect that you would support the conversion of some empty office towers, especially mid-block buildings that may have become outdated, into residential structures. Do you think that's a good idea? Of course, I think it's a very good idea. Look, when we were building uh, Ground Zero, when we were building the skyscrapers, uh, many of the great B office buildings, which, which were already too old to really be modern office buildings, 
were being converted to residential buildings. And that has brought a lot of life to lower Manhattan. All these old office buildings now, great residential apartment buildings. So there is no doubt that uh, that will happen as a result of the pandemic and that uh, some offices will be converted and will become very desirable spaces for living. There's no doubt. And I think that will, again, be fuel energizing the development uh, of Manhattan. Do you go out and walk around an area like downtown anonymously as just a face in the crowd at different times of day and night to get your inspiration? Or do you not have to do that? Oh, you have to do that. You have to be a lucky man to be living in New York and to be able to, you know, take the subway or walk somewhere into a corner of New York that is maybe 10 blocks away from you. But it's a different New York. That's the beauty of New York. New York has, you know, you move a few blocks and you're in a different neighborhood. And New York is really a, a kaleidoscope of diversity. And, you know, I grew up in the Bronx. Now I live in Manhattan. Many of people in my office live in Brooklyn or in Queens or in New Jersey. But, you know, being on the streets of New York, meeting people, looking at, 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 at the dynamics of the city is absolutely not only a quintessential act for the architect, but I think for every human being. So, yes, the streets of New York, nothing can replace them. Daniel, I know that you are also an accomplished musician. And I'm just struck as we've enjoyed talking with you that you are almost, when you describe your visions, like a conductor uh, conducting an, an, uh, an orchestra. Well, you know, it's not a wrong analogy because, you know, as a master planner, you're not, you're not visible as the first violinist or as the player of the cello or the cure. You're sort of like a conductor, you know, with your back to the public, but you have composed the score and you have to conduct this diversity of talents, of, you know, engineers, architects, developers, the, the, the myriad of, uh, you know, symphony of the whole city. You have to conduct it and make sure that at the end, everybody's offered a big creative space. And at the end, there's a harmony to the entire exercise. Daniel, I have one more for you. If you're <clears throat> the maestro of the redesigned post-pandemic and you look at the five boroughs, what would you start with first if you were tasked with that redesign? I think we have to really address boroughs that were especially hit with the pandemic. Look at the Bronx and parts of the Queens. You know, that's boroughs, you know, and again, I, 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 I speak from experience because I lived many years in the Bronx. It's a borough that has such beauty. You know, Edgar Allan Poe, Melville, all the great writers talked about the beauty of the Bronx, and it is beautiful. It needs to be addressed. We need to really put our resources to create affordable housing. And by the way, I'm working on NYCHA project for affordable housing, both in Brooklyn and in as um, Long Island, you know, for elderly people. So it's possible with good architecture through affordable housing to create, bring people back, create a good life, good social space, bring education, and, and really raise the standard of living in, in our great city. Thank you for the beautiful buildings that you have designed that have brought people reflection and peace and determination and optimism through your art of architecture. Thank you so much, sir. Well, look, architecture is not only act of building and of optimism, it's also the act of healing, because many of the wounds that we suffer as a society, as a world, can be healed in a good creative response by building a better city. 
And now we all know why Daniel Libeskind is one of the most famous architects in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.